0: Welcome to the NPS MedicineWise podcast, helping health professionals stay up to date with the latest news and evidence about medicines and medical tests.
1: Yeah, hi, I'm Steve Morris, CEO of NPS MedicineWise, and welcome to another episode of our podcast. Uh, I would like to introduce uh, Dr. Robert Herkis. Dr. Herkis is the Chief Medical Officer at the Australian Commission on Safety and Quality in Healthcare. And director intensive care at the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital in Sydney. Welcome, Robert. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for joining us. And look, in this podcast series, is is focused on really issues relating to the impact of COVID nineteen on clinicians, uh, clinical care, and ultimately patients. And our listeners are mainly health professionals. So, can you just take us through what the commission has identified as the biggest issues during this time? And what the commission has been doing in supporting clinicians to address these issues. Um, yes, thank you. So one of the, of course, the biggest issues is understanding
0: how to prevent transmission of COVID. And uh, with, as with all new diseases, there's actually, uh, especially at the start of the pandemic, a sparsity of data around what you should do to try and prevent transmission uh, in the community and transmission uh, within hospitals and uh, aged care facilities. So one of the first things the Commission did was looked at um, our standards to see whether the standards are fit for purpose and whether there was appropriate advice for health services uh, within the standards to allow them to appropriately consider the preventative aspects of covid so, uh, lots within the within our standard three, which is preventing and controlling healthcare-associated infections, it's fair to say that historically this was a, a standard that that really didn't look at um, staff or visitors or patients bringing in an extremely contagious um, virus into the hospital and spreading it within the hospital. So, we spent quite a lot of time looking to see what we could do to. Uh, uh, add resources to that standard to make it more robust. So we developed resources in consultation with each of the states and territories around PPE, around uh, environmental cleaning, around um, issues of uh, protection from droplet and aerosol spread of disease, uh, looking at how you might screen visitors and staff coming into your facility to try and screen for COVID, uh, what you might do, Around um, uh, recommencement of elective surgery when there's still COVID within the community, how you might what you might do about screening uh, elective surgical patients before they came into hospital uh, to try and keep the uh, the hospitals safe. Now a lot of that work was done in in uh, conjunction with the, the new national bodies that are, have been set up to help the national cabinet make decisions around uh, the COVID response. So that's in. Uh, the Infectious Control Expert Group, and the AHPPC that both uh, feed advice up into Cabinet. So we um, developed a rapid evidence um, unit to get evidence rapidly for ICAEG, the Infectious Control uh, Expert Group, so that they could be informed about issues as they came along. And so uh, we undertook a series of uh, quick literature reviews uh, looking at the Things that might uh, decrease the risk of COVID, therapies for COVID, um, usual medicines and usual medicines' effect on the risk of COVID, uh, to try and uh, support our clinicians.
1: Yeah, thanks for that overview, Robert. And obviously, you know, given um, the pace at which things were changing, how, how did the commission determine kind of which resources needed to be prioritised or produced first?
0: Um, so often, it was in consultation with the jurisdiction. So all the jurisdictions. Um, were initially very keen to get uh, information about uh, personal protective equipment out around how you might don and doff personal uh, personal protection equipment safely and then uh, information about what levels of PPE were required in different circumstances. And so um, that, that work was done with the jurisdictions and it's, it's fair to say it's evolved as the pandemics uh, continued um, and as... Um, uh, Uh, careful um, consideration of workforce issues uh, have become more and more important, particularly in Victoria where there's there's more COVID than elsewhere.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Robert. And just a couple of other things. Um, In terms of you talked about working obviously in conjunction with other national agencies, how does the work of the Commission dovetail with, say, the National COVID-19 Clinical Evidence Task Force? Um, So the Clinical Evidence Task Force uh, and the Commission have regular
0: meetings. Clinical Evidence Task Force takes some of our work and as you'll be aware, Steve, the commission, as I was saying, has done some literary reviews around potential therapies for COVID, has looked at uh, normal therapies, so ACE inhibitors and what have you, and and their effect on the the risks of uh, getting COVID and having severe COVID. Uh, So we've published those and they have also been uh, distributed to the National Clinical Evidence Task Force. Um, the Clinical Evidence Task Force uh, has w- regular meetings with us so that we uh, understand what each other's doing. Um, and uh, so far, we haven't uh, ended up having contrary positions, um, which has been uh, useful. So there's been cross-fertilization.
1: So are the, the jurisdiction still identifying n- new issues or, uh, that, that require kind of some, some national scrutiny or a review of the evidence, Robert?
0: Um, so I think one of the lessons out of Victoria is around uh, how you might uh, want to um, care for patients who are delirious or or demented, uh, where their behaviours potentially expose staff to infection with COVID, um, uh, you know, outside of their normal environment, outside of their residential aged care home and into a hospital. And so there are issues like that that really need ultimately considering it at a national level. About uh, how to how to best look after uh, s- sick but not not um, critically ill um, elderly patients, because bringing them out of their usual environment uh, exacerbates their confusion
1: and yeah. uh, causes issues. So, the, so the work continues in terms of the role the commission in this area, then Robert. Yes, it does indeed, and in fact,
0: we've just uh, set up a task force to look at. Uh, making sure that all the all the recent lessons out of Victoria are reflected appropriately within our standards, particularly the standard three, the uh, Preventing and Controlling Healthcare-Associated Infections. Uh, so Where can people find the Commission resources? Um, so all our resources are available on our website, and that's www.safetyandquality.gov.au, uh, and
1: there are uh, tabs there to uh, our COVID resources. Okay, and just to to switch to slightly, I suppose, uh, with the lens of of a clinician working in the sector, what sort of issues and problems have you observed personally and and how do you think these have changed over time? I think it's fair to say that um,
0: even places like intensive care hadn't uh, practised donning and doffing, putting on and taking off uh, PPE um, uh, extensively enough in the past. Uh, fit testing of N95 masks is another important issue. Um, to wear an N95 mask appropriately, it's uh, not to leak, and the only way to assure yourself that it's not leaking is to properly fit test it. Uh, even in uh, hospitals that have a range of, of multiple different sizes and styles of N95 mask, uh, still a small proportion of the workforce uh, can't get a mask to fit and therefore have to... Um, use a hood or a, or a powered respirator. Um, so there are lots of uh, issues like that that have emerged uh, during the pandemic that um, if we sat back and thought about how we'd deal with a pandemic, I'm sure we would have imagined that there would be problems. But, uh, you know, practising up on PPE and properly putting it on and properly putting it off and all sorts of old-fashioned things like um, arriving at work and changing into scrubs and then at the end of the day, changing, having a shower and changing out of your scrubs into your uh, civilian clothes, things that uh, have often dropped by the wayside are now important again.
1: Yeah. Look, and despite everything, all the challenges that the COVID-19 pandemic has presented, um, there's always some positive changes in healthcare which have been facilitated because of the impact of the pandemic. Do you have any reflections, stories, on innovations that have come about in response to these issues and problems? I think
0: exactly the same as in the influenza pandemic uh, the system has flattened so a lot of the levels of, of uh, bureaucracy have disappeared and there's much more transparency between the you know the public health people and the frontline clinicians within the hospitals so I think it's been really useful I think uh, you know on reflection the um, both the state and territory and the Commonwealth. Uh, Chief Medical Officers have done a fantastic job uh, trying to keep up to date with the evidence and, and bringing the community along with them. So I think that's been um, really useful. Um, I think the, 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 there have been a whole series of committees set up that have um, historically not been there, so things like a Medicine Shortage Committee and there's a, you know, a, um, a National Stockpile Committee And those committees have engaged with, um, say, the hospital pharmacist association in ways that haven't historically happened. So there's a whole series of work around uh, preparedness of hospitals with stockpiles of, or with adequate supplies of, say, uh, COVID COVID uh, medicines for intubated and ventilated patients uh, has been taken has occurred across the whole of Australia, and that's been a really useful uh, engagement at a clinical level with Um,
1: the the national bureaucracy and clinicians. Yeah, and let's hope that some of those ways of working and solutions are are continued beyond this period, I think. Yeah, I think think they will. The other thing that's been, from my point of view, has been stark is the
0: way uh, states that historically were rivals have pulled together. So the commission has had um, 20 or 25 of our staff doing contract tracing um, and that's been done uh, mostly for New South Wales but also for Victoria. Um, the states, all the other states have been sending Victoria um, masks and PPE when yeah. there were shortages of masks and PPE. Uh, there's a national process now to share medicines when there's a medicine shortage in one particular area. Uh, so those are really positive developments that have overcome some of the us and them stuff
1: Yeah, that's uh, where,
0: where a jurisdiction
1: would be and un- unre- un- or disinclined to help their (laughs) neighbour. Yeah, I fully understand. Look, I'm just going to shift finally to one one final topic, um, to not insignificant challenge of medication safety. And and we'll end with a a big question for you, you, Robert. Um, Why do you think the challenge of medicine safety has proved over the years to be such a difficult challenge? So
0: I think um, the first thing is uh, we've got a very disconnected system and uh, so, you know, if you just think about the, the disconnects between a, a doctor or a, or a um, nurse practitioner ordering a medicine, uh, putting it on a piece of paper or now hopefully onto an electronic script, uh, they're disconnected in the community from the local pharmacy where the pharmacist has to dispense those medicines. Uh, lots of the process is manual and not electronic still. Um, you know in hospitals the uh, the um, pharmacy supply is mostly not pro- not fully integrated into the electronic medical system um, medicines management systems so they're not using barcodes they're not using all the things that you would imagine in the 21st century should be part of um, assuring safety and then I think there's there's inadequate decision support for both the the uh, prescriber, the dispenser, and the uh, person who administers the medication, uh, reminding them of things to look for, you know, not putting people accidentally on a NOAC and a, and conventional warfarin and so on. Um, and so I think a whole set of those electronic tools that can aid each stage of the medication prescribing, dispensing, and administering
1: just aren't there yet, and they should be. So it's about, in, in, to some extent, some systematic adoption of those type of systems. Yes, exactly. And, you know, you
0: look at the wicked problem, say, of opioids and opioid stewardship, there's so many things that could be connected up to allow uh, people to understand uh, the person who's in front of them, what what they may have had in the past and what issues they may have, to allow a better prescribing of and dispensing of medicines.
1: Uh, that just aren't there yet. So we're on a we're on a journey, unfortunately. Yeah, thank you, Robert, and thank you for your time. It's my pleasure. If you want to hear more about rising to the challenge of medication safety, uh, Robert and myself will be part of a panel at the NMS Virtual Symposium on the 7th of December 2020, and I encourage you all to sign up to this event. Um, it'll give you ideas, thoughts from other professionals and organisations about how we can all act differently to rise to the challenge of improving medication safety. Thank you and thanks for listening. For more information
0: about the safe and wise use of medicines, visit the NPS MedicineWise website at nps.org.au.